Shalom, and welcome to In the Beginning. My name is Shmuel Bowman, and I am a Torah scribe. We are entering the season of the High Holy Days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement. These are times of celebration, but also trepidation. And next week on our um, on our podcast, a very special guest, my wife, Leah, who is a well-known tour guide and scholar, will be talking with us about Yom Kippur, from the days of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, what we saw back then and what we can see of that place today. We'll be going through some of the highlights of the Yom Kippur service as it was done over 2,000 years ago. And we'll also talk about what we can see today as we walk through those streets in Jerusalem. It should be absolutely amazing. So please uh, join us uh, for that next week. Let your friends and family and anybody know about it. Send them the link to this uh, podcast in the beginning. But now we're going to be talking about Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And specifically, I want to focus on really the core, the essence of Rosh Hashanah. In the Bible, this day is known as Yom Teruah, the day of the blowing of the shofar. So there's something extremely central and very important about this horn, right? A ram's horn. But this shofar, somehow we need to figure out what is going on with that. What is happening with this wordless sound, this prayer of prayers? Well, there's one story in particular that really touched me. And it's uh, it's a little bit sad. It's actually very sad. But I think it's a very, very important and it's a story, an eyewitness account of something that took place in during the Holocaust. And I'm reading actually from really an incredible book called Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust, compiled by Yaffa Eliach. And I highly recommend getting this book or taking a look at it. This story is called A Shofar in a Coffee Cauldron. Wolf Fischelberg and his 12-year-old son were walking among the barracks of the sector for privileged people in Bergen-Belsen, trying to barter some cigarettes for bread. As they were turning into another row of barracks, a stone was thrown across the barbed wire separating one sector from another. The stone flew over their heads and landed at their feet. It was clear that it was aimed at father and son. What does it mean? Wolf turned to his son, Leo. Nothing. Just an angry Jew hurling stones, replied the son with a defiant note in his tone. Angry Jews do not cast stones. It is not part of our tradition, replied the father. Well, maybe it is time it should become part of our tradition, the son snapped with restrained anger. Wolf Fischerberg looked around to see if all was clear. Only then did he bend down to pick up the stone. A small gray note was wrapped around it. Wolf slipped the note into his pocket. They walked into a safe barracks where other Polish Jews lived. In a corner, at a distance from the others, Wolf read the note. It was written in Hebrew by a Dutch Jew named Chaim Borak, who had Argentinian papers. After establishing his credentials, Chaim wrote that he was fortunate to have obtained a shofar, and it was in his possession. If the Hasidic Jews of the Polish transports wished to use the shofar for Rosh Hashanah services, Borak 
could smuggle the shofar in one of the coffee cauldrons of the morning distribution. In doing so, they would lose a cauldron of coffee, for the shofar would be covered with a minimal amount of coffee, just enough to conceal it. A vote was taken among the Polish Jews. Those in favor of the plan to smuggle in the shofar held a clear majority. They all agreed to give up their morning coffee ration on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. At the time and place specified in the note, a stone once more made its way over the electrified barbed wire, this time from the Polish Jews to the Dutch. You see, my son, Jews never throw stones in vain, said Wolf to his son as his eyes followed the stone, making its way from one sector to another. The smuggling of the shofar was a success. Nobody was caught and the shofar was not damaged. But now a new problem arose. In order to fulfill the mitzvah, the obligation of shofar blowing, all present must clearly hear the voice of the shofar. The risk was great. If the sounds of the shofar reached the Nazi guard's ears, all present would pay with their lives. A heated debate developed among the scholars and rabbis in the barracks as to whether one could properly fulfill the commandment of sounding the shofar if it could not be heard distinctly. In the absence of books, all discussants relied on their memory and quoted precedents from, from various Jewish sources. Based on halacha, Jewish law, a decision was reached to blow the shofar quietly. God would surely accept the muffled sounds of the shofar and the prayers of his sons and daughters, just as he has accepted the prayers of Isaac atop the altar of Mount Moriah, thought Wolf Fischelberg, as he was about to blow the shofar. As little Miriam, Wolf's daughter, listened to the shofar, she hoped that it would bring down the barbed wire fences of Bergen-Belsen, just as the blasts of the shofar had in earlier times made the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Then the service was over. Nothing had changed. The barbed wires remained fixed in their places. Only in the heart did something stir. Knowledge and hope. Knowledge that the muffled voice of a shofar had made a dent in the Nazi wall of humiliation and slavery, and hope that someday freedom would bring down the barbed wire fences of Bergen-Belsen and of humanity. With that, I want to wish every one of you a Shana Tova, a blessed new year, good health, happiness, joy, and love. Please join me every week for new ideas and uh, let's share these secrets together. Shalom. I'm Shmuel Bowman. In the Beginning is produced by Sacred Scrolls. You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music. If you have any questions or comments, please be in touch through our website at sacredscrolls.net. Thank you for listening.